1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Oh, here we go, boys. Go. I love that sound. This is a good one. Welcome to the Waterfall Wednesday edition of the Full Scale Outdoor Podcast with Nick Johnson and Dale Luganville. How's it going, Dale? What's up, Nick? Not much, man. How's life in Wisconsin? How's the, the season? Uh, it's been going really, really good so far, man. Really good. Good. Sweet. I've lost, except for one glove that I lost. God, that pisses me off. <laughs> You've lost a glove of all the calamities one could succumb to. <laughs> you ever, you ever out hunting and like, you ever out hunting and then like you look down in your layout blind, you're like, there's my left glove. Where's the right glove? And then it just eats at you and eats at you and eats at you. Like, you can't even focus on the hunt because you got a glove missing. Yeah, I can't say that's ever no. happened to me. What the fuck, man? I mean, not, not the part about losing a glove, but the other part. Like, the reaction to losing a glove can't say I've had quite that visceral reaction. Ah, God, I fucking hate losing a glove. <laughs> Do you got to bring spares now just in case? I do bring spares, oh, and actually, the glove I lost—the glove I lost was a spare. Like I'm wearing my gloves, I'm digging through my backpack, and then I—I uh, uh, I look down and like there's one spare glove in my backpack. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense, dude. I looked everywhere for this thing, even the places that my little mini schnauzer would have fucking hit it. <laughs> the only thing that drives me nuts is when I am looking for, like, in the back of my truck for gloves. And I see similar gloves, and I grab them, like, oh, there it is. And it's the two right hands or two left hands. You're like, no, damn it. And you look and look and look, and you just, like, where is the match? And then you see another glove just like it, same thing. Oh, you got three right hands. You're like, what's going on? And you look hard enough, I eventually find a, a matching set. But it's irritating in that moment. Dude, and another, I just don't. I don't do anything without gloves. Like, I think that's uh, like a carryover from working in a factory for 17 years. Like I just, if there's work to be done, you put on work gloves to do it. Like I got, I got the nicest hands in the freaking guiding game. Let me tell you. <laughs> well, they look I well know, manicured. I know I've made the mistake of like uh, pulling blind material without gloves before. And that is a great way to get a grass cut. Yeah. Yeah. Never touch grass without Oof. gloves or find a hidden thistle plant. That's always fun too. 
<laughs> right on. Good so, times. anyways, uh, I guess how else has my season been going? We've ran. Uh, God dang it! I think twelve hunts now. I've ran twelve hunts now. Ten have been really good, and uh, one of them was really bad, and one of them was bad, but only because the clients could only hunt in the morning, and the birds were going to fly in the evening. Ah. I just I told. I told him, I was like, it's going to be an afternoon feed today. Um, what do you want to do about that, considering you can only hunt in the morning? They're like, well, just go out and try it anyways. I was like, all right, so we'll probably go out there and shoot none. And that's exactly <laughs> what happened. Huh. So in those conditions, what what makes you, like clouds, temperature, what are your factors? Yes. Temperature, Every, all of it? Everything. All of it's a factor. Um the biggest factor for um, determining if birds are going to fly around or feed in the morning is going to be your cloud cover and your temperature. Typically, warmer temps with heavy cloud cover are going to induce a morning or late-ish, mid-morning to late-morning feed out of the birds. Um, the last couple of days, we've had very, very heavy cloud cover and very warm conditions. When I say warm, what I'm what I mean is like thirty and above pretty much with heavy clouds. Now typically one way that um I can distinguish if the if it's the light now, now I'm ta- talking really specifically about giant Canada geese here. Like not trying to make any uh not trying to tell people that this is how to hunt ducks, but for giant Canada geese, um the the measure the measurement I use for if it's dark enough cloud cover to induce a goose flight is if you can be outside comfortably with no sunglasses. Like uh, if it's not sunglasses um, brightness for me, like for my eyes, I'm like, all right, it's dark enough to where birds are going to start flying. And then if if it's like it's like mostly cloudy or it's cloudy but it's thin clouds. And it's still like if you were driving somewhere, you'd throw your shades on. That's not bright enough, typically, to induce a feed prior to sunset. And we should specify this is for late season. This isn't like a September pattern <laughs> or even October. No, pattern. but I, I've seen it in October plenty. Okay. I've seen it, definitely seen it in October plenty. Um, one interesting caveat that, like, especially in the October. Uh, time frame like if you just get a cold snap it gets down to like 26 27 it's clear out the next morning next october 10th you can pretty much plan on those birds not feeding however if you are hunting a silage cut cornfield i have noticed that's an exception where it seems like birds always not always i shouldn't say always but more often or uh it is more likely that they will go feed and this these rules of thumbs are just aren't positive uh it was last saturday i ran a goose hunt and they were calling for clouds and i got up started driving to the field we had three customers and uh one guy who's about to one kid who's with wanted to shoot his first goose and so we get up in the morning we're gonna meet in the field i'm gonna have them meet me there about an hour before sunrise half hour before legal and we're setting up the decoys and i can see the moon and the stars i'm like ah uh, this is going to be a long, a long day. Everybody, but I knew it, this might happen. It's supposed to be cloudy, but some of the forecasts were like mostly cloudy. So I told everybody pack a lot of food, pack a lot of snacks. It's going to be a long day out there. About eight o'clock comes rolling around. 
here's me on the side. It's like, oh, God dang, what temperature was it? It couldn't have been, it couldn't have been warmer than 20 or 22. It was cold and not, not cloudy. I'm sitting there doing jumping jacks, push-ups, like just preparing. I just want to stay warm. And I hear like a goose in the background. I'm like, ah, it's on the lake over there. Gets louder. Like, yeah, it's probably just going water to water. Gets louder. I'm like, I better get in. And then we just got into a 35, 45 minute gunfight with the oh, geese sweet. all piling out at once. Where I was like, I did not expect that to happen, but I'm sure glad it did. You think maybe they got bumped by something? No, because even if they do get bumped, they're not necessarily going to come feed. They probably will just go do what they are intending to do. Like if their intentions are to sit on water, they're they're going to fulfill those intentions. And then um, this Saturday, it was clear conditions, but I had guys that travel from Missouri to come hunt with me. And, you know, you can't, I can't scout when the birds aren't feeding anyways. And the clients don't want to sit in their hotel until, you know, let's meet at the field at two or three. Right. And, you know, and like they're paying all this money, taking time off of work. And it's like, hey, we're going to go do this goose hunt. And then the guide says, like, we're going to goose hunt for two hours today. And they're like, oh, what? It's kind of weird. I'm like, and, you know, busy yourself until the afternoon. Ah. Uh, so we went out in the morning, and I said, uh, it was cold and clear, and I said, we're not going to see very many birds today, and the birds that we see will not be very receptive to coming into the decoys. And I was correct about one thing and incorrect about another. So I was correct that the birds that we saw were not going to be willing to decoy, but I was incorrect uh, when I said that we weren't going to see many birds flying. We actually did see quite a birds, few birds flying. It was a lot of water to water that morning. And um, when you're hunting in those conditions, too, when uh, you all right, the bird's intentions are to fly water to water. You happen to be in their flight path. What they're going to do is they're going to hear your calling. They're going to get interested in it. They're going to fly over. And I give it I, I call it the lock and look. They give they'll lock up for a quick sec, kind of look you over, might even swing once. And then they just are going to continue doing what they do. So that can usually induce like some panic out of some hunters that don't really know like these geese aren't really decoyable anyways because they're not intending to come to corn. But they give you like this kind of false sense of hope when they lock up and they swing around once maybe. And then they just kind of continue off. A good indication that you should not be worried about like fixing your decoys or fixing your hide is are you seeing birds going to feeds? You know, like Maybe they, if they just continue on and they go off into the distance and you can't see where you they're landing, they're probably not going to a feed. If you're in an area where they've been feeding, like if they wanted to come to your field and then you scared them off and their intentions were to feed, what will they do? They'll go feed somewhere nearby, right? They'll go to the field across the road or the other feed that you know is in the area. Okay. Well, in that field, maybe just on the other side or something. Yes. Away from yes. Yeah. Yeah. Away from you, like on the other side of the field. Okay. Now that's an indication that these birds are actually coming out to feed and you are actually screwing it up and you need to fix something. But if it's like one of those cold, clear mornings where you're getting those locking looks, you start to be like, well, this, uh, those ones didn't really like something. You know, somebody in the group says something like that or they don't like something. 
Like, yeah, I don't think they like corn right now. You know, like, (laughs) (laughs) until we see some sort of indication that these birds are feeding, let's not freak out. Let's not get in an argument about where the decoys are placed. Hey, if you got extra time in this scenario, you obviously do because you're going to be waiting till the afternoon. Hey, it's never a bad idea to touch up the blinds. Be like, okay, well, these birds are not going to feed this morning. Uh, They are going to go water to water. Let's, uh... Go get a cheeseburger at about 11. Uh, go get a cheeseburger about 11. Come back. We'll brush the blinds in for another 30, 40 minutes. Make them look as good as we possibly can. And then the birds will fly, you know, if we're lucky, 3.30. Right. I mean, brushing in the blinds, at least, you know, it, you can at least eliminate that as a possibility if they are brushed in very well. You know, like, okay, well, right. we know it's not this because this is a gangster hide, so... No, you're Can I told you about the what? Where'd you go? Where'd you go? Hello. There you are. Oh. You're like, did I tell you about? And then just went silent. (laughs) Weird. Um, did I tell you about the brush cutter I bought? Yeah. I did, dude. I've been using that thing so much. Everybody (laughs) needs one. That's the best seven hundred twenty dollars. You just get out there like uh, Tim the Toolman Taylor every time you fire that gas engine up. (laughs) (laughs) The other day, um, this would have been for uh, Saturday's hunt. I I was driving. One thing I do now too is I find I when you get a permission on a spot to hunt or you know where you're going to hunt, the next thing you need to scout is you need to scout where you're going to get your grass from. So I drive around you know, the nearby roads and I'll pin, I'll pin where I'm, where my grass is on my Onyx. So the next morning, the first thing we'll do is drive over to our grass and cut it, cut, cut down the grass. Well, the, the other day, uh, there, it was pretty close, uh, to a bar on Saturday. And so we come rolling up. It's five o'clock in the morning. The grass spot I pinned was like 300 yards away from this parking lot of a bar. So we pull up, there's like two SUVs sitting in the bar parking lot. And it's two cops. And so uh, I'm like, whatever. So we jump out of the truck, click the headlamps on, fire up the freaking chainsaw, <laughs> and just, you know, just go to town cutting grass for like, you know, 20, 30 minutes in the ditch right next to these cops that are just talking. And we're just waiting for them. Like, all right, well, they're obviously going to come over. It's five o'clock in the morning. There's two idiots in the ditch with the chainsaw uh, making all sorts of noise with headlamps on. With their truck just idling right there, like, and uh, no, they didn't say a damn word. They didn't come huh. over to us, and we, when we left, we drove right past them, and they're just sitting there, just chatting. It's like <laughs> these donuts aren't gonna of... eat themselves. <laughs> if there's any time where a cop should probably come talk, that's definitely the time to do it. Right. So yeah, I, okay, yeah, I'm scouting grass spots and then i i go in there and chainsaw down my grass every day sweet what else were we talking about uh that's all we've just been talking about uh, wisconsin uh any duck action of any sort to report uh well duck season has been closed for quite a while well, i didn't know if it was in wisconsin it wasn't I oh yeah yeah I, I think we actually closed a little bit earlier than like the north zone or maybe at the same time period as the north zone in minnesota okay for some reason, so I there, thought it was there, later there, but I guess not. There there are a handful of late-season mallards kind of hanging out with our goose feeds right now. Not 
A ton. There was a, there was one big mallard feed pretty close, but I wouldn't say it was more than 2,000. Um, you know, not like, which is, which would be like a pretty standard, like bigger feed, you know, for like mm-hmm. the late season mallard arrivals. And did you uh, get your fair share of um, posts about how the DNR is so stupid for oh, closing yeah. the season? Yeah. Because yeah. there's mallards well, everywhere now. Can, can we remind people that the DNR didn't close the season early, but the people got what they asked for? Right. But I was just on Joey's podcast. I think I said the same thing. Like, what we're seeing, those late season mallard feeds, in my opinion, yeah, it would be nice to hunt. It'd be great, but we're seeing the last remaining 5% of ducks, you know, like maybe even less than 5% of all the ducks that will go through Minnesota. You know, this is the last remaining single digit percentage of them. And they're sitting on the last single digit percentage of open water. You know what I mean? Right. So what that really tells me is that is not hunting opportunity for not, it's not a hunting opportunity that's really viable for 95% right. of our for our duck hunting population, you know? Yeah. There's 50,000 duck hunters in the state of Minnesota, let's just say. Um, you know, it's only it's only an opportunity for you know, what would that be in percentages? What's 95% of 50,000, Dale? What 90 what what percentage of what? What's ninety five percent? What's what's ninety five percent of fifty thousand or ten percent or five percent? What's five percent of fifty? Ten percent of fifty thousand would be five thousand. Yeah. So even if if would there be five thousand duck hunters that would go hunt late season mallards if the season was extended a couple weeks to where there was a better opportunity to get them? I mean, I'd, I'd say I'd say that's pretty doubtful. Yeah, and that would be so that. It's not really an opportunity, a hunting opportunity, for the strong majority of the state's duck hunters. Agreed. Which, now, I think where they really messed up is is by the the people that whined about too long of a split in the middle of the season that they eliminated for all intents and purposes the that southern zone because it's the southern and central is the same season structure now. Right. So you can extend your Minnesota season if you'd have left it as is, but. The DNR, right. if you want to fault them for anything, is they listen to the hunters. That's right. And you know <laughs> what? I, I am part of like that 5 or 10% of people that would benefit from that later mallard season because I have the equipment and I live in an area that has open water. And uh, I have fields that I can historically get permission to hunt on that are near to that sources of open water and occasionally have some ducks on it. Like I would be a benefit. I would be one of the small percentage of people that would be a beneficiary. And yes, for me, it would be nice if the DNR somehow had an extended season so we could get after these late season uh, field mallards opportunities that exist outside the regular season. But I, I do also understand why it's not an opportunity for me, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. Now, the only thing that hasn't really been explored is that we could be lobbying the federal government to change the framework and maybe just get more days allotted. Right. So I don't know how the process of that would go, but I know the Mississippi Flyway is only allowed a 60-day duck season. Now, you... uh, Right, so that's what you would have to change. Right, and obviously the 
Pacific Flyway gets a 107-day duck season. I don't know how that system comes to be. All right. Well, I think you just start squeaking. I mean, you just got a you know squeaky wheel and just keep pestering them. I guess I don't even don't even know who that would be. I guess it would be the uh... Flyway Council. Man, I have to look into that i guess i don't i don't really know the fws uh, yeah the fish and wildlife service yeah. would have to change the you'd have to yeah, start I, sending I don't letters know. to them incessantly and you know and then you're gonna have there's to all do a study of, and you know yeah probably there's all sorts of interesting uh season structures based or uh for each individual flyway there's even like you know, different rules, like if you have if you have uh, splits or if you have zones for your state, like, they, you know, if you have these zones, then these rules must be followed. It's all pretty interesting, like, if you read into it, and, I mean, it's not, yeah. it's pretty well, dry stuff, yeah. but it's kind of cool. It's point, and point they being do that think about wanna... this stuff a lot. Like, yeah. the DNR, like, puts a lot of thought into this right. stuff. Well, I mean, and there's a know, lot of – yeah. <laughs> what I was going to say is the point – the, like they like to blame the state, you know, the state DNR, and their hands are tied. I mean, they have the structure – they have the season structure that they have, and they can only – you can only mix and match dates so much, you know. And so yes, if you really a, want to change it, you have to change it on a federal level. There's all these sorts of weird rules they got to follow, uh, and the rules are for a reason, and the reasons that are maybe – misguided but i'm not smart enough to make that call and <laughs> you know well it's just it's a process it's probably a long process and some hard work and it kind of comes down to how bad do you want it you know i mean it, and and science has to back it up too first you gotta convince them to even look at it and then the science has to bear out the fruit and you know just throw climate change in there people start listening <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that is actually kind of true. <laughs> they won't take you seriously if you don't mention climate change once or twice. <laughs> whether there's, right, any, whether right. there's any truth to that or not, I'm just saying that if you want anybody to listen, you better throw those words in there in some way, shape, or form. But I don't know. I mean, it feels like, you know, we've talked about this in the past where it's like um, Hunter Harvest has a negligible, negligible effect on you know global or even flyway duck populations i think you even said way back when like you could essentially have like no limit because if you look at average ducks bagged you know per hunter per outing or whatever it's what one or less than one per average so it's like what's yeah. if you're only shooting one duck what what is what is a limit good for anyways but right 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 what you mean i think what you mean to say is like if you didn't shoot the limit that day what did the limit matter correct so on how many days you know uh, what percentage of your days could you shoot more than the limit because on a lot of days you can't achieve your limit anyways right so the limit didn't affect your hunt but there you know those three or four or five magical days that you get maybe per season where it's like we could have shot a hundred well Right, and and would a hundred birds? Let's say a hundred birds. Let's just say a thousand. So let's say ten groups that day in the state shot a hundred birds, which I don't feel like is a ridiculous statement. I don't know that it would be much more than that if all the stars aligned to have such a great you know conditions. A thousand birds in one day is really not going to affect the population. Now I'm not advocating right. for no limit. What I'm trying to point out is that. There may be an argument made that the population is healthy enough to 
potentially extend, you know, change the, the federal framework. You know, you might have an argument there if you use population numbers that it could that we could withstand um, heavier harvest. And instead of changing the daily limit, daily bag limit, let's go ahead and just extend the season, which really would have even an, even a even less impact overall because as the season progresses through deer season and ice fishing and everything else you're going to have hunter hunter numbers are going to diminish as it gets colder as it gets harder to hunt as you know bird numbers even go down just because the just because you have extended the season by let's say 15 days how many people are actually going to take advantage of those 15 days that's that's what i mean yeah like it's a limited opportunity for a limited amount of people in a limited so, area. Right. So again, the argument would be this increases the opportunity without increasing the risk to the population. I mean, that, I feel like that would be your argument if you were going to pose it to the, the feds. So speaking of extending the season, do you have any plans to have extending your season by traveling? <sighs> Man, I've been tossing the idea around of going down to Arkansas. Nice. What do you yeah. would you be? Uh, what would the query be in Arkansas? What do you, would you be chasing? I want ducks. I want you want ducks yeah. in Arkansas or and specs and specs. Okay. How do you plan on making this happen? I don't know. Driving down there and doing it. I, I know I have friends. <laughs> I have friends that guide down there. So. <laughs> oh, do you? Yeah, and I've guided down there. You know, in the spring snow goose season. So I yeah know, yeah 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 I'm somewhat familiar with how it goes and. I mean, I'd love to go down gonna, there that was, last, that, you know, I've, I've always recommended people like, you know, the time to go down there, everybody waits for that spring conservation season, right? They got the, the electronic calls and the no bag limits and blah, 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 blah. But to me, the move is go down the last week of their season when everything is open. You can shoot yeah, anything. And, and sure, the snow goose limit isn't unlimited, but it's 50 a person. <laughs> is still, it 50 down there I, yeah i'm pretty sure so it's still a lot. it's either 50 or 20 for yeah, sure I think it's it still was, a lot it's still a lot so it's like okay how many days you go snow goose hunting and don't shoot you know 20 to 50 a person you know every, like like nearly every day <laughs> exactly so it's like what are you all you're doing is you're limiting yourself by not being able to shoot specs when they come in and all that field right across the the levee there that's just loaded with pintails and mallards yeah you can't touch them either but if you had come down a week earlier you'd get to run the whole gamut but i don't know i was gonna ask if you had like started nerding out like on uh like on the Arkansas Game and Fish website and had been doing any research or anything like that. You're just you're just gonna phone a friend and then get an airline. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Or drive down right. there. Yeah. Well it would make a little bit more interesting podcast if you had done a bunch of nerd out <laughs> we could talk about. <laughs> well, I mean, like I said, like... I have a baseline understanding of like where I would go anyways. I mean I, I actually feel confident enough that I if I hooked up a trailer and drove down there, I could freelance myself a, a pretty decent hunt. You think so? Yeah, for sure. Fucking prove it. <laughs> prove it. Let's go. Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure I could. It's not that um, hard. I've, I was able to drive around and and get permission. You know, if you can get permission as an outfitter without without forking over money, I mean, like if you can get permission and they know you're an outfitter, you can definitely get permission if it's just a buddy hunt. Sometimes I feel. Uh, Sometimes I feel like asking as a guide service gives me a little bit more of an edge over rando stranger. 
really th- I guess it probably really matters. I mean, because some people have such a negative out or a negative viewpoint of outfitters, and I guess maybe some people maybe see that as um, you know some validity. You know, I agree. Give you some that, that's, your your point is valid. Your point is valid, but sometimes you know maybe it's a horse apiece. There's pros and yeah, cons to be. asking on on either side. But sometimes when I'm like, you know, my name's Nick Johnson. I live here. I'm run a small I run a small guide service where I take out one group a day hunting, and um, I got a group coming in from Ohio, and I could give you a hundred bucks to let you let us out there and hunt tomorrow. I'm got a two million dollar insurance policy. I'm state licensed, and make sure we do everything right. 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 Give you a hundred bucks, and they're like, "Huh? I've been letting these fucking jackass kids go out there <laughs> with for free <laughs> with fit, and next thing you know, they got fifteen guys and ruts all through my field. Right? Yeah. It's so, like, yeah, yeah, we we definitely won't do that. We're gonna have a small group of guys out there, and uh, we won't ruin anything. And I'll stop by and shake your hand and give you a hundred dollar bill at the end of the day. Yeah. And I, I wish I, I'm, you know, I look forward to the future when, uh, I can pay farmers more because I, the hundred dollar bill is a nice treat, but it's not something that sways opinions from no's to yeses. You know, yeah, it's a hundred bucks is a hundred. I mean, everybody likes an extra hundred bucks, but there's some people where it's like, nah, it's not worth the hassle. Yeah, I'd like to think that in the future I can get my client list and because right now I feel like I'm undercharging right now at 150. Like if you look at the average daily rate of a guide service across the country, it's closer to that 225 to 275 range. Mm-hmm. So I'm really far, uh, or my my rates are very very low. But uh, maybe in the future they'll build. I can build my clientele up, start charging what I should be charging, and pass that along to where maybe it actually could, like hey. Uh, out there tomorrow, I'll give you $300 right, for one day. Right, you know what I mean? Because right. we do that down in like Oklahoma, Kansas. We'll pay $500 a day or $100 a gun and you'll have like seven dudes. And man, uh, the farmers are jacked when you give them that envelope. They're just That's like, that. fuck yeah. Like, dude, we're going out for dinner. We're buying pull tabs. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's a nice little treat. Hell yeah. It's no, like not like oh, a $100 bill. Fucking cool. I got. I'm down to two packs of uh, of skin on mallard breasts. One is thawing out right now. Actually, it's probably thawed out, which is what I'm gonna have for dinner tonight. And uh, so I'm running out, and I want more. So I'm really tempted to uh, to do a, a hunt later. Dude, I uh, have been eating goose like a wild man the last couple weeks. Yeah, I mean, I got plenty yeah. of that yet too from the snow goose hunt, but. Yeah, the Amory Meat Market uh, got my meat back to me like at, by, at like the end of summer, like my last year's meat. I was like, that took a while. <laughs> and then this, and then my wife was being all weird. She was being like, I'm not having any wild game while I'm pregnant. You know how they get like, oh, I won't yeah, eat a ham sandwich. Yeah, whatever no, su- yeah. no sushi, no cold cuts. Yeah. Sure, sure. For whatever reason, she's like, no wild game. Well, now the baby's out. And we are just going ham on that goose that we got made. <laughs> and uh, I've been enjoying it. I had goose. Dude, I've, I've been eating goose like twice a day. We've got some good breakfast sausage made, which you can tell when you pull it out of the package. Like, this ain't goose. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's like, I don't know what the mix is, but it's mostly pork. Yeah, heavy and so pork. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. def- it's delicious. And uh, the burger's been really good. Summer sausage has been really good. We busted that out with company and... 
I've been enjoying eating my goose. And then I'm kind of thinking about it. I'm like, man, we're, I'm like, well, it's a good thing. We got all of last year's geese. I've only killed one goose this season. I'm like, man, we're burning through this goose meat pretty quick. And uh, this next thing you know, the season's going to be over here and I'm going to not have any goose left. Like, right. <laughs> Yeah. And I, well, and I had to, went to, uh, to eat with my daughter uh, this past weekend with we this uh, restaurant in Minneapolis. Kills a French restaurant. I can't remember what it's called, but phenomenal. Top 10 meals I've ever had. And uh, what I got was um, bone marrow duck confit. And so you get this like long plate and they got, there's a half bone there with the bone marrow. Then you have the, the a duck leg, you know, meat falling off the bone duck leg, and then there's this piece of like insanely buttered and crispy fried piece of bread with some jelly on it, some jam of some sort. And so you take some of that that duck meat, you put on that bread, spoonful, a little bit of that marrow on top of that, and then you just bite the whole thing. And holy crap, was that good! But I'm sitting there That's looking not- at it, going, I could, I think I can recreate this. Like with some of yeah. these snow goose legs that I have, you just slow cook it, braise it. Well, actually, I would confit it. So, I saved a I saved a bunch of fat from um, the snow geese that we got from North Dakota, and a bunch of fat from that swan. So I'm gonna mm-hmm. render all that down. I'll have enough. I'll have enough waterfowl fat to properly confit some goose legs. Oh, that's awesome. Now I just need to get a bones. I might have to just go to the meat market and actually get a big old ass cow bone so I can uh, cook the uh, the bone marrow. But it was, oh, man, it was so good. I mean, it, it was just blow your mind good. All right. Well, hey, dude, I have, I'm i going to have to get rolling. I, uh, I got four days of clients the next four days. Well, that's good. It's good to hear. Yeah, yeah dude. So, uh or, Everything's looking good. We got a bunch of great spots lined up, but right. you got openings. Hey, if anybody, I do have openings between now and December sixteenth. If anybody would like to get on a guided goose hunt, let me know. And it's cheap. And he just got done saying he's undercharging you, clowns. I am. I am undercharging a little bit for the what we've been doing. But uh, yeah, I've got I've got a handful of uh, four point two five Pacific calls, goose calls, Nick J signature series. That are in stock. They're out of stock on the website, but I got like four or five of them at my house. If anybody's interested, reach out to me. Check out the Goose Tech app. That's about it, man. All right, dude. Well, good luck out there. We'll check in next week. All right, dude. Chat with you later, dude. Bye. that has the stories to back it a life to be proud of it's a winchester life yeah baby six eight western oh, i'll be over there baby right there tune in every tuesday at 7 p.m eastern on waypoint tv